This is your coffee break. Hey friends, I'm back again this week, and I have with me Kenny Porter, who is a comic book artist and writer. He is doing so much cool stuff. He recently had a very successful Kickstarter for his Barnstormers project, and he's working on a comic adaptation for a Sega game called Yakuza. Kenny, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so delighted. Um, I think when we were speaking initially... Um, I had mentioned that, hey, I've never had a comic book person, writer, creator, illustrator on the show before. So very excited to see where this conversation takes us today. Yeah, I, uh, I'd been a fan of the podcast for a while, and I noticed that there hadn't been any comic book writers on. So that's why I kind of I kind of selfishly reached out. I was like, hey, do you ever have comic writers on the podcast? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I like, let's do this. I would love to come on there and talk. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're here. It's a great reminder that, I mean, writers are literally everywhere. There's writers writing your technical manuals. There's writers putting together instructional stuff. There's writers in movies and TV and comic books and everywhere. So I love having a broad perspective and and talking to a lot of cool people in writing. I'd love to start off uh, hearing just a little bit about your journey and how you came to be where you are. Sure. Um, well, I'd always been interested in stories a lot. Uh, when I was little, I read voraciously, and I actually lived down the road from a comic shop. Awesome. So I was able to go. Yeah. So I was able to go down there. I paid a lot with. We had one of those big. I don't know if every family did, but we had one of those big like glass jugs where we put all our change in there. Mm-hmm. Um, with just loose change. So I would go with like line my tiny little short pockets. <laughs> And run down there and buy all the cheap, like, 25-cent issues of comics (laughs) that I could get. Uh, And I was always really big into movies and TV. And in high school, I got more interested in writing. And at first, it was for film. I was really interested in screenwriting. So I bought a bunch of books. It kind of taught myself all the format. Because if there's anybody out there who knows anything about screenwriting, it's like you're a slave to the format Mm -hmm. of the page. So I learned a lot about formatting and storytelling. I probably filled up... I found some old ones recently. I probably filled up 10 or 20 notebooks of just like screenplay ideas or fully fleshed out scripts for stuff. A lot of times they I've read them. They're not great. I was going to ask if you're going to do anything with them. um, Some of them have some good ideas, but a lot of them, it was before I really knew how to write characters or story Mm -hmm. structure. So there was a lot of talking, but not a lot of stuff happening. (laughs) So, (laughs) so at least it taught me how to, how to know how to have multiple characters speaking in a room. Uh, from there, I went on to just kind of work after high school, and I went back to, to college. I was going to do film stuff originally, but I became more and more interested in writing prose, writing nonfiction stuff. So I started a degree in like a split between professional and creative writing. I went to Grand Valley State University in Michigan hmm. where you can kind of design your own writing degree. Um, they had a straight like creative writing or professional writing degree. Uh, and there was a new one, a new track where you got to pick what you wanted to focus on. So I picked like a split between like fiction and manuscript development stuff and writing for the web. So I could do like a split between creative and professional. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started getting interested in comics again, uh, mainly because <laughs> I uh, I was at a party at a friend's house and I I hyper extended my knee dancing to Thriller. Oh, my gosh. Basement. Yeah, like it was so loud. The pop was so loud. They heard it over the uh, 
over the speakers. Like oh my, my foot gosh. got trapped on some carpet and like my leg went one way, my knee went the other and I went down. <laughs> and so I was laid up for a while and I went to the bookstore to keep myself busy. I got a ride and I bought a bunch of uh, I bought a bunch of comics because I hadn't read any for a while. And I fell in love with the art form again. And I started mm-hmm. I started reviewing comics for a while and then realized that I wanted to write my own. So I started studying up on that, kind of put all my work that I'd learned throughout college and storytelling and stuff into learning this, writing this new art form, which is similar to writing a screenplay, but a lot different in terms of instead of thinking about constant motion, you have to think about how panels work on a page and what are the best sort of still moments of action to pick uh, either in dialogue scenes or action scenes to convey the story. So it's, it's like learning a whole new language, especially with learning how art works. Definitely. So I have I have so many questions for you. I guess first yeah, and foremost. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, first and foremost, do you do writing? Do you do inking? Do you draw? Do you what what part of the comic process are you involved in right now? Uh, I actually just do the writing. I I used to draw a lot as a kid, and I've been trying to teach myself to do it again with cartooning. So mainly because my friends have been pushing me that <laughs> that I've been studying up on it so much, like I should be doing it again. So right now, I mostly just write. Uh, in 2012, I won the first Top Cow talent hunt, which Top Cow is a imprint of Image Comics. They do like Witchblade, wow, and stuff like that. Yeah, I won the first sort of um, like new talent search they did and wrote some licensed characters for them, and that's kind of how I broke in. That is start. awesome. Tell so tell me about was this a, a contest that you found out about or did somebody tell you about it? Did you just randomly search online for different places where you might be discovered? Uh, yeah, I was a part of a workshop called Comics Experience, which is run by this is gonna sound like a plug for them, but it's just because he helped me so much <laughs> throughout my career. But uh Andy Schmidt, who's a formal uh, editor at Marvel, he worked on like the current the current permutation of the guardians of the galaxy they use for the tv uh for the movies he worked on that book and civil war and all that stuff he created this workshop uh where aspiring writers artists inkers colorists and letters could come in even editors aspiring editors could come in and take classes with industry professionals so i took writing classes with him uh, to learn how to write shorts and miniseries or like longer spanning stories or just, and also like hammered home deadlines and working with clients and stuff, which is really helpful to know in any form of writing. Yes. <laughs> how to manage that stuff. Yeah, that's something they won't teach you in school at all. Oh my gosh, it's not. It's yeah, so important. I, I know. There's nothing in my writing program. Those like the one caveat I had is that a lot of it was about the process, but none of it was about how to actually run yourself as a business or how to like how to generate stuff or finish projects. So if that's, I expressed that in my review afterwards. I was like, this would be kind of nice if you taught everybody how to do the freelance stuff or just how to work as a writer. Um, but anyway, yeah, I took classes with him and they they announced that this was going on and he kind of signal boosted it for me and let mm-hmm. me know it was going on. So that's how I ended up applying to it. That is really cool. And it's really inspiring to know that, that, that opportunities like that are available. So I'm curious, you talked about being a slave to the format when you were writing for film, for screenwriting. How is that different when you're writing for comics? I mean, because you still, you talked about a little bit, you have to be able to translate what's going on to the artist. So tell me a little bit about that process. 
Sure. Um, the one great thing about comic scripts and writing those is that there's no set industry format. As long as it's clear, uh, as long as it's clear and concise, so you can tell uh, what's being conveyed. There's no rule for spacing or font choices. Um, it's really kind of like writing a letter between you and a best friend to the artist, just kind of mm. describing what's going on. So a lot of times it doesn't necessarily have to be straightforward. Like, uh, like a screenplay would be like if it was, um, so for example, if you were writing a scene in a screenplay and it was like interior mm-hmm. building night, and then you describe in detail with a comic script, you can be a little bit more loose. Cause you know that it's kind of for an audience of just three or four people, um, mm. like you, the artist and the editor. So you can be more like, you know, panel one, uh, Hey Jeff. Okay. So let's go crazy with this one. Let's go crazy with this panel and do this sort of thing. You can throw those sort of like personal notes and jokes and stuff in there because you're kind of writing a letter. I don't I don't tend to do that until I've worked with somebody for a while. I tend to stay pretty standard with panel descriptions uh, until I know the person just so it doesn't so I don't come off kind of like a 1980s coke craze maniac. The <laughs> That's probably a good way not to portray level. yourself. Yeah, I know. There's just like, oh, let's let's get used to each other first before <laughs> before I start going crazy with that stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's way it's kind of broken down into some of the elements is um you generally do a header saying what page you're working on cuz uh it's you got to think in page units hmm. for comics instead of um like actual pages of the document. So you kind of start with a header slug line of like which page you're talking about and then you use uh, you type what panel you're talking about and then do the character attributions like you would with a stage play hmm. screenplay and then kind of like you you try to focus and write for the one page unit since that's what people will see and you got to think about page turns too hmm. which are a big deal uh, you know it doesn't have the sort of comics doesn't have the sort of benefits that TV or movie does with you know, doing dramatic reveals in the right. same way. When you're holding it open, you can see two pages at once. So you can kind of out of your peripheral vision, see what's coming up. Mm-hmm. The only way to surprise somebody is to do stuff on the even numbered pages when they turn it. Oh, to, that's so uh, weird to think about. Yeah. So you, so you have to kind of plot around. If you're going to do a big reveal, you have to kind of plot around which pages it's going to be on. Uh, Unless there's ads in there, and then you have to kind of like reset it and be like, okay, well, where's this ad gonna be? <laughs> sort of like planning that sort of thing. So yeah, it's got really interesting challenges, but it's really fun to learn. It's my favorite way to write stories now. Oh, I love it. So I'm I'm just very curious. Does the is is it the writer then who sort of drives the creative for comic books? Uh, no, it's pretty split. Um, right now we've gone through different ages in comics where it was kind of artists who were the big thing that sold books and then writers most recently. Um, A lot of people will argue who's more important. I think it's completely split down the middle. Mm -hmm. When I work on a book, I want all of the, my words are not like the Bible. I want, (laughs) yeah, I want other input. Like I want input from the artists because they're going to be drawn at, like they have to dedicate way more time than the writer does so i want to make sure that it's a story they want to tell and i know that i'm not um i'm not the greatest storyteller that ever lived so if there's a better way to do something especially with pacing out the panels in a different way or laying out the pages maybe in a different order then i want the artist to always speak up and do that 
and kind of push me to do it. So I, I always think that it's a really, a really collaborative process between the two. I like that. So I don't know if this is something you want to answer. Do you ever disagree? And what happens when you disagree? Um, because stories are so intensely personal and, and maybe two people oh, yeah. collaborating have a different vision. What happens with that? I've never had, I've heard stories of people having some pretty bad disagreements <laughs> on stuff. I've never had, I've never had that mainly, I guess just because I'm always open to work with somebody and rewrite something. Hmm. Um, I like, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to critiques. Like I'm what I might be one of the few people for my school program when it was time to get critiques in class. I was like, yes, please tell me what's wrong with it. So, <laughs> Um, if everybody would just go around the room and go, oh, yeah, it's fine, it's good. Like that would be the worst. Kind well, of right, because then hear. you don't learn or grow, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, I want to know how to make stuff better. Um, I think the only time I did, okay, I did have one. I won't call it any names or anything. Okay, obviously, okay. I did have one pitch I was working on with an artist, and we were workshopping the story together, but. Um, it was it was all based around a mystery sort of thing so it had a lot of things had to be seated in the beginning for the ending to make sense oh and uh i turned in i he, he gave me the pitch pages and they were completely different and kind of ruined what like who the characters were and what they were doing uh and we kind of had a little argument about that it started off polite and ended up getting a little bit heated and then at the end we're just like you know what maybe it's just best if we don't work together and we stayed friends and stuff afterwards but uh we just realized it probably weren't the best to work with each other that's fair that's probably Mm -hmm. a good realization to have (laughs) yeah what about um when you're working with an artist have they ever misinterpreted sort of what you've planned or what you've written in a good or a bad way um yes i did have a, a lot of times that might happen if you're working with artists from a different country, mm. like English isn't their first language. I've worked with a lot of artists from Italy and, uh, and other countries, I guess mostly Italy, now that I think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked with Rennie Castellani on Barnstormers. Uh, she was, I had no problems with that. She's pretty fluent English, but when I worked on my top cow story, which was an issue of artifacts, um, Rom, which, uh, which is the name she goes by, she i you know i would have to go back because i don't know if it was me or if it was her but the the gestures on the faces didn't necessarily match the dialogue that Mm. was there so i had to go back and this happens i guess a lot when you're working with somebody like english isn't their first language uh i had to go back and kind of rewrite the dialogue to fit the scene based on what emotions the characters were giving Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a it was an easy well, it wasn't easy, but it was it was fixable. It's just sometimes that happens. I know Andy used to tell me a story when he was working on the X-Men books that there was this big what was it? There was some big death and like the X-Men are walking around the mansion and the panel description said uh I don't know if you know the, do you know who Nightcrawler is? Yeah. Like the blue yeah. yeah, the blue teleporter guy. Yeah. So it said Nightcrawler is moping in the hallway but the guy read it as mopping so he drew the guy yeah he drew him and they were like so why is he like doing janitorial work and then they it was too late to go back so they had to like make some excuse about how he was just trying to keep himself 
busy or whatever <laughs> to like avoid the stuff of his death. So yeah, there's really funny stories about stuff like that happening. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like geeking out right now. I love this. Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah, isn't that great? That's like such a funny little tidbit to hear. I'm just like, why? <laughs> He's just mopping solemnly in the I'm background. Glad that, yeah, it's like, why is Nightcrawler mopping sadly in the background <laughs> of the of the panel? Yeah, real good stuff. Um, yeah. In your mind, uh, what makes for good comic book writing? I think that a lot of it comes down to knowing how to pace a story mm-hmm. uh, and how to work with an artist and to their strengths. Every artist is going to have different elements of storytelling that they're better at. Like maybe one of them does really like multiple panel pages really well or splash pages or they're more, they're better at action or maybe even some people are better at gestures. Mm-hmm. A lot of it it's, I mean, you should always try to improve yourself by, reading books or reading other people's work or even watching other types of fiction just to know how to tell a story better, but knowing how to write for the artist is just as important. So you wouldn't want to like write for, you know, somebody who had a really cartoony bright style. You wouldn't want to write necessarily just dialogue after dialogue page of lots of panels. You'd want to show off their ability to do gestures and really big, fun, animated stuff. Like you always want to make sure you're writing something they're excited to draw because that'll show on the page. Interesting. Do you get to pick the artists that you work with or are you kind of assigned depending on project? Uh, For work for hire stuff, I don't usually get to pick who I work with if a company's doing it. Uh, Sometimes I might not even talk to them until after Hmm. it's starting to, uh, until after it's starting to go. So I might not, who's, I might not know who's going to work on it. Um, that's just kind of how it goes with the bigger industry stuff with personal projects. I usually write the story and then go and try and find an artist who fits it uh, or vice versa. I'll meet an artist, ask them if they want to collaborate on something and we'll come up with the story idea together. Very cool. So you, you do a lot of work with different things. You have your own, I want to not call it intellectual property. You have your, you have your own story that you're working on with <laughs> barnstormers, which I want to ask you about in just a second. But sure. before I do that, I'm curious, what is it like to work with existing characters? So, you know, you mentioned that you were uh, working on an, an adaptation for Sega for an existing intellectual property. What mm-hmm. What is that like? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of drafts. <laughs> there's, there's that because, uh, the um, you know, you're always trying to you're always trying to do your own spin on something while being 100 percent true to the character mm-hmm. uh, and especially the company's vision for that character. So for my first real taste of it was when I did that work uh, at Top Cow and Image and I had to write licensed characters. I had to they were characters I weren't really familiar with. So I had to do a lot of research and go dig out old collections or old storylines to kind of see how they reacted in situations or mm. what their dialogue was like, what their cadences were. Um, for Sega, there's a lot of established stuff with this Yakuza franchise. There's like six or seven installments, not including spinoffs mm. with this character. It's kind of like, if I had to pitch it, it's kind of like double dragon meets the wire. Like it's wow. a lot of punching <laughs> and kicking, but then there's a ton of, like crime family stuff and continuing storylines at like years after years. So there's a lot of things to go on. So I have to be careful in dialogue when I call out events because either they might not have happened or something might, they might be doing something with that in the next two or three games they're doing. Oh God. So there's a lot of rewrites with dialogue or what we can and can't include 
in the background. So it's um it's not difficult. It's just a lot. There's a lot more going on. You put in way more work mm. because you have to make sure that it fits with their vision of everything. So it sounds like it's a lot more work. Is it still creatively rewarding or not as much as if you're doing your own stuff or? I think it's creatively rewarding, but in a different way. It's mm. um, the one, the one good thing about writing established characters is people, people kind of know them already and you don't have to necessarily in like the opening gate, you don't have to win them over as hard. Mm. But um, another part of it is it's the fun thing of like taking something that exists and getting to play with it kind of like in a sandbox as a little kid. Yeah. It's your toys. You're like, oh, my gosh, like this thing I would pretend to do as a little kid in my <laughs> backyard. I'm now getting to do it for realsies <laughs> and people are going to read it everywhere. So there's like that rush to it whenever you're writing licensed characters like this is the sort of thing I would have come up with on my own just as a little kid and now it's something that like hundreds of thousands of people will read that is really cool you can't see me right now but I'm just like totally geeking out <laughs> well that's I'm glad yeah because that's how it feels when whenever somebody asks you to do something like that you're like it's like I'm going to my friend's house to play with their action figures, except everybody's going to watch it live cast <laughs> and, and know what our little storyline was we came up with. Which is maybe a little intimidating. It is, yeah, it's, it's a little intimidating. You definitely have to have thick skin mm. for that sort of thing to be able to know that like some people aren't going to like your interpretation or just won't dig it as much. But that's the thing with licensed characters, too, is there's so many different versions, especially a comics characters that you can kind of pick and choose what your favorites are. Mm. Uh, generally people won't do that though. If there's something that somebody doesn't like on the internet, they'll call it out. They're <laughs> no, <laughs> they're no stranger to that. We all know that. So. Gosh. I mean, have you, have you received that kind of criticism? I mean, is that something uncomfortable to deal with or do you just kind of see it? You, you spoke earlier about being comfortable or even encouraging criticism. Is it still comfortable? Is it, ugh? I mean, uh, I've had bad reviews. You know, I haven't had any really devastating reviews of anything, especially uh, especially my license work hmm. so far. If, if I have, I haven't seen them. So, maybe that's uh, maybe that's good. Yeah, they could be out there. Um, but yeah, no, I don't really take it to take it to heart because there's always going to be something you do that other people don't like. Uh -huh. uh, that was yeah. I had lots of professors who didn't like the way I wrote stories, and I would hear about it quite a bit. Or I had somebody, you know, the real like, the real test of it is if you go to conventions and you table uh, at like Comic Con, you're selling your books. You'll have to deal with instant face to face criticism sometime. Ooh. So yeah, I had a kid come up to my table and pick up a book I had written and read the whole thing in front of me and then tell me how I should have done it. Oh, and then walked away without buying it. And oh. I, was like, oh, I would have been happier about you telling me how to do it if you bought it. But Dude. yeah, you have to deal with that kind of stuff a lot. So you have to have really thick skin and know how to kind of talk to people because you're going to get criticism like that sometimes face to face. So when it comes to that thing, a lot of people feel a lot of people feel with like comics or video games or anything that they own it. Yes. So that they have the right to say whatever they want about it, about the creators to it. I've seen people say like really mean, jaded stuff to people who've worked on licensed things or even are the creators of stuff. 
just because they feel like they own it because they bought it. And it's uh, that's like that's not even like a real thing specific to comics. That's just like a life lesson if you make anything creative. Yes. <laughs> to know that you've got to sometimes deal with that. Yeah, I and I've I've uh, talked with and read about other authors like who actually owns this work that you've created. You know, at the end of the day, you know, do you have some kind of obligation to fans to end something a certain way or to you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's. That's really fascinating, and it, it sounds like uh, it happens kind of everywhere. My yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of the darker corners of creativity that we don't talk about very much in public. But I've outed it now, so oh. the helicopters and the guys are rappelling down the sides of the building. They're going to come through the windows pretty soon. <laughs> well, 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 we'll keep this short then so that you can get taken away in, in oh, peace. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. need I'd... as much as I can for my lawyer to let him know <laughs> I was cooperative. <laughs> I do what I can. Um, I want to talk about Barnstormers. Okay. Tell me all about it, what it was like making your own thing. Just give us everything. Sure. Um, Well, I came up with the idea a few years ago because I've always kind of loved pulpy characters like the Rocketeer. Yes. And stuff like that, like post-World War I, like just before World War II type stories and giant monsters. I was a big fan of uh, Godzilla films as a kid. Um, or even like the Japanese Super Sentai shows and everything. Anything that had anything to do with like giant monsters or robots, I was down for. So I wanted to kind of mix the two together because I've always liked pilots too. Like that was always my favorite. This is going to be blasphemous to some people. My favorite parts of Star Wars were always just the the dog fighting parts. Yes. Like the Jedi stuff is fine and it's and it's great. But I like I I would watch as a little kid like the Death Star trench run. Or like Top Gun all the time as a kid too. All of the uh, all of the dog fighting with the planes. So I wanted to mix those things together. And I'd been writing for a while some really. I was kind of writing dark stories for a while after I'd done that thing for Top Cow because that was a horror comic, hmm. which I'd never really done before. But after that, like since that was getting me momentum, I was writing a lot of dark, heavy stuff, and I didn't really want to do that anymore. And I wanted to write something that was a little bit more lighthearted, but still kind of talked about talked about real world issues. So at the time I wrote Barnstormers, I was going to school full time, uh, was taking care of my grandmother who just recently like started losing her vision oh. and everything. So she needed a lot of help around the house. Uh, I was working and then I just started a new relationship with my then girlfriend, now wife. Oh, so there was like a lot, a lot on going on. Yeah. <laughs> So the story is all about how Roscoe, this like blue collar pilot and monster hunter. So that's kind of the different thing in this world is that like giant monsters have been a problem for a while. So it's a blue collar job, like an like an exterminator. They're like monster whalers. (laughs) These pilots, Uh, he's like he wants to get married and all this stuff. And he's proposed to his to his fiance, but they're busy all the time and not making enough money. So he takes on a job that's way more high profile, like save the world type gig, thinking it's going to be fine. Like gets all that responsibility on his shoulders, but is too dumb to ask for help. And it's just kind of trying to do it. You're starting to see the parallel here. (laughs) Just a little, (laughs) I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll call it out first and foremost. Yeah. Like it's, it's all about how I was just taking on way too much responsibility and not asking for help and piling it on and piling Mm -hmm. it on till it all came crashing down sort of thing. So yeah, that's what the story is about. And there's giant monsters. That's crazy cults and airplanes. 
and all that jazz. All my favorite things. Mm-hmm. I, I know, love all it. Wrapped up in one. All wrapped up in a one. So, um, so you had a Kickstarter for this. I did. Yeah. Um, originally, it was supposed to be at a couple of different publishers, and they fell through all for different political reasons nothing to do with the quality of the book just Mm. publishing schedules or new deals or new people taking over and positions and changing the slate so it'd been done for about a year and a half or two years and i just all my friends who were artists and writers were like freaking out because they're like it's done like why isn't it out somewhere (laughs) why does everybody keep not putting it out so i was like you know what screw it i'll put it out myself uh and we designed the Kickstarter and everything and launched it. We got funded like halfway through the second day. Wow. A lot of stuff. Yeah. And everybody seemed to really like it. It's been sharing it around and I just got the print proof recently. It looks great. All the colors turned out and I'm waiting for the, uh, for the big box of books to show up to ship out to everybody. What a great feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so good to hold something that you made like that in your hand, like creating something from absolute nothing. And then holding it as a physical object is uh, is incredible. Yes. So for you, what made that that what I mean, you know, reaching your goal by you said the second day is kind of insane. How did you like how did you even do that? Uh, Lots of research. (laughs) I I have friends who've done a lot of successful Kickstarters. Uh, My buddy. My buddy Joe Mulvey, who's a really talented artist, people should check out. He's done a bunch of Kickstarters. And so I designed – you can do like a preview mode and design your campaign and have other people look at it and critique it. Oh. So I did that and I sent it over to him and just accepted all of the punishment for like, you did this wrong. This needs <laughs> to change. Do this. You should offer these kind of tiers and levels. Um, I talked to some of the people like uh, Comics Tribe and Comics Launch, which uh, they do stuff about Kickstarters and how to do all, how to handle all the printing, the fees, shipping, how to know kind of like what reward t- tiers people would like, what the best days are to launch. Oh gosh! Based on when people get paid, or the start of the month, or how busy they are. So, like, here's a little insider tip: like, if you're going to start one, you want to start near the beginning or the middle of the month, and you want it to be on a Tuesday or a Thursday. Uh, because you don't want it to be on Monday because people are catching up on work, but by Tuesday they'll be goofing off on the internet more <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So that was kind of like the good sort of thing. And he could, like my buddy Joe confirmed that when I asked him, I was like, yeah, you totally want to do that. So asking for help was a big one, which is the lesson I learned from making the book. Yeah. <laughs> was learn how to ask for help and how to, uh, and how to, you know, not just go in blind. Uh, so yeah, I did a lot of research on it. I, I kind of made sure I could have a lot of apps on my phone to do mobile marketing constantly. Uh. I downloaded a photo editor so that as stuff was happening, I could create fun snapshots from panels of the comics and lay text over it. Kind of like a mini version of illustrator to like, let people know what percentage we were on or to do pull quotes from famous comic writers that I'm friends with that did reviews on the book. Cool. Uh, so that I was, while it was coming out, I was constantly talking about it and having my other friends who work in comics uh, signal boost and share it for me. Awesome. So a lot of that was just like knowing how to constantly have it be a part of the conversation, which which actually before the podcast started, you said you'd heard about it beforehand, which uh, surprised the heck out of me. 
Well, I, I think when I when we initially started talking, I like stalked you a little bit online. Oh, okay. Maybe that's why I know about it. I don't, and okay. I and I checked it out there. So I'll t- I'll take it either way. Okay. Okay. So, good. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it either way. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I made sure that it would be successful. I didn't expect it to hit the second day, and then we got featured as one of the top projects we love oh, on cool. Kickstarter. Like the next day, yeah. So we ended up making twice what we asked for, and yeah. So I'm really excited to get it in people's hands. People seem to like it. I ended up getting contacted by an agent because of it. What? Uh, yeah, I know it's great, uh, and he's really fun to work with. And we're working on uh, getting that out to some places. And yeah, so it was, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. Uh, and I'll definitely be doing another one in the future. Not sure when, um, I want to continue doing barnstormers, but Rennie works. She draws Disney comics in Italy. Wow. Uh, and she's like knee deep in work right now. And she says she wants to come back to the characters. We're just not sure when. And I have ideas for two or three more volumes and some fun little one shot ideas that would be good but i'll definitely with all the support i got on kickstarter i'll definitely be bringing another book there to just do crowdfunding sometime soon good oh that's super super exciting and i wish you the best of luck as you continue with that i love it uh what comics should people be reading right now like what's what's good Ooh, what's good i mean that's all a point of taste but Mm, i guess i'll I'll kind of give what i think are some good ones to hit right now that are really great uh my favorite comic on the stands right now, it comes out kind of in volumes a little bit, is uh, Southern Bastards from Image Comics. Awesome. That's uh, that's by Jason Latour and Jason Aaron. That's about a small town in Texas. You know how like uh, small towns in Texas will get real into their high school football teams? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, like a cult worship almost. So this town is about this coach who's kind of – running the entire town and criminal stuff underground is like using the linebackers as his enforcers (laughs) and stuff like the football team runs the town and it's kind of a like uh it's a sort of like come and take the town backstory where this old man comes back to town and sees that it's happening and tries to stop it and things go unexpectedly is as far as i'll put it uh that's one of my favorite books right now i get super excited to read it uh, what else is really good right now? Um, also from Image, uh, my buddy Daniel Warren Johnson's doing a comic called Extremity. That's a real cool science fiction fantasy Ooh. story about like way post-war, post-apocalyptic, like the world's regrown back over. People are different and live in weird. There's, there's a lot of mystery behind it, but people kind of live in strange tribes. And it's about a girl who had her, she was an artist and she had her arm cut off by a by a raid sort of thing and it's about her dealing with not being able to draw anymore and her father wanting like this uh tribal warfare revenge sort of thing so that's a real fun science fictiony type story uh let's see what else um i guess on the superhero side uh there's really good stuff coming out from from marvel right now i'm enjoying the spider-man books uh, like Renew Your Vows. That's real fun. That's like a sort of alternate universe Spider-Man story where he where he ended up staying married to Mary Jane and they have a kid and they're kind of like a spider family oh. fighting crime and stuff. That's real fun. Uh, right now, Ryan Stegman's working on that. He's great. Uh, let's see. What else? God, I read so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking over at my bookshelf from far away. Uh 
Brian Level's doing some great stuff on on Secret. Is it Secret Warriors? Is it called? Oh uh, no, Secret Empire, the Marvel event. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman and the Shadow by Riley Rossmo is great. That's a fun like superhero-y pulp crossover thing. I got I got to remember books that haven't. I know books that haven't come out yet. I got to remember. Oh. <laughs> I've read stuff of my friends too. Uh, the new young blood by, uh, my buddy Jim toe is really good. That's really fun. That's a reimagining of like the first image comic that ever came out. Oh. Uh, and okay. And my number one pick is, uh, the Flintstones from really? DC comics. Wrapped. Yeah, that is, uh, that's been, one of the best books I've ever read. So it's it's like a social commentary reimagining of the Flintstones. It's not even really about Fred or Barney. It's more just like putting up our current world's lens oh. uh, in Bedrock. So there's like like Fred and Wilma being married is shunned upon because people are supposed to be polygamous <laughs> and just like make kids. So like uh, so like they have signs that are like. Uh, one dad many wives or like dads are bad and stuff like that and so they're constantly like berated for being a married couple <laughs> and they play a lot on the you know because it was always kind of weird that the appliances were animals that could talk uh-huh uh they play a lot on the whole like kind of slavery aspect <laughs> with the animals so there's like there's one bit that i loved where there's this armadillo who's a bowling ball and a elephant who's a vacuum cleaner who like when the people go to sleep or they're not there at night all the appliances come out and the vacuum cleaner asks the bowling ball uh hey bowling ball have you ever heard a joke before and he goes no he goes yeah me neither maybe someday we will oh. like that sort of thing <laughs> like really ridiculous uh really ridiculous sort of stuff like that so that's one of my favorite books that's come out recently but yeah, that's some good stuff to check out. Uh, there's always tons of new things coming out. And I'm always reading. I try to read as much as possible and keep up just for inspiration and just for fun. I think any writer should do that. Definitely. So um, if people would like to connect with you online, if they want to find your work, where do they go? What do they do? Sure. Um, well, I have a website. It's KennyPorterWrites.com. That has a link to a lot of my comics work and then also all information about like freelance work that I do uh, and stuff for clients. And then you can find me on Twitter at Ken Blake Porter. And that's the same for Instagram. And those are the ones I'm on the most. And there is a, there is a Facebook page for barnstormers, which people can find if you just search barnstormers comic and that will, you can go there to stay up to date because we just did the Kickstarter and I'm going to – I do have extra copies printed, and I'm going to make them available at conventions. But we're also working on getting them in some stores and making it available for people to buy digitally if you miss the Kickstarter too. Super and then maybe cool. some print versions. So we're working that out right now one step at a time <laughs> based on stuff. But that's the way you can kind of keep up with what I'm doing. Awesome. I'll make sure that I have links to all of those in the show notes for today's episode. I've learned so much today, and I really appreciate uh, the points you hit home about being open to critique, asking for help, reading a lot. I appreciate this so much. It's been a delight to talk to you, Kenny. Thank you so much for reaching out. Well, thanks for having me on, Sarah. 